Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Meg Who Loved Me by Meg McMaster. This was published in 2017 and is the second book in the Blue Blood Conspiracy series. And we are going to be reading this entire series. We also read the first series that comes before this one, which is called the London Steampunk series. You should definitely read that series before you read this one because... I mean, there's, you, you, you just do it. Just do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so Beck McMaster is one of those authors who each series takes place in the same universe. There's a definite divide in setting and cast. Um, there's a little bit of overlap and obviously previous characters still appear. Uh, but the, the overarching, the first series is about taking down the power structure mm -hmm. that previously ruled over this fake steampunk London. And this book is about keeping the peace in the immediate aftermath of the rebuilding of the world order. Yeah. And I do really I think it's really interesting what she's doing, you know, who the enemies are. I mean, some some of the who some of the enemies are, who some of the, you know. Um, anyway, I, I really think it's interesting. This is one of those series that I increasingly want to, like, make an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. And if I ever had time to reread romance novels, which... Thanks to this podcast, I really don't anymore. This is a series I'd love to reread and sort of diagram for myself. Yeah. As nerdy as that is. Like, I, I really actually do... He, there's a character mentioned in this book for the first time, I think, in a long time within this series. And I really wish I had, like, a way to quickly reference what exactly I'd seen of him on the page previously. Yeah, in which book and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the book jacket. Ava McLaren is tired of being both a virgin and a mere laboratory assistant for the Company of Rogues. When a baffling mystery rears its head, it presents her with the opportunity to work a real case and perhaps get a taste of the passion that eludes her. Blue bloods are dying from a mysterious disease, which should be impossible. Ava suspects there's more to the case than meets the eye and wants a chance to prove herself. There's just one catch. She's ordered to partner with the sexy mech, Kincaid, who's a constant thorn in her side. Kincaid thinks the only good blue blood's a dead one. He's also the very last man she would ever give her heart to, which makes him the perfect candidate for an affair. The only rule, it ends when the case does. But when an attempt on her life proves that Ava might be onto something, the only one who can protect her is Kincaid. Suddenly, the greatest risk is not to their hearts, but whether they can survive a diabolical plot that threatens to destroy every blue blood in London, including Ava. Um, I have one thing. One thing, what is it? That's wrong in the jacket. Which one? Ava doesn't have a heart. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, There's good, a couple of moments, and I know we've talked about this before, <laughs> when people only have one eye, and like the author being really deliberate about not mentioning sight-based yes, puns from the yes. perspective of that character. Ava's, uh, you may remember in the first series, was rescued from an evil scientist named Haig, which, so every time I read these books, I think about the EU parliament, um, but she had her heart, she was turned into a vampire so this guy could experiment on her and he literally ripped out her heart and replaced it with a mechanical one. Right. And so Ava frequently thinks about like her heart and her feelings and I wish that, this is like almost a perfect book. 
the one of the very few criticisms I have about this jacket and this book is I wish they'd been better at not having Ava think about emotions and heart feelings in the same way. Or if she it could have it could have been something really interesting where she said, I know I don't have a real heart, but it sure feels like I do. That kind of thing. Well, and she like even says her heart doesn't respond to emotions. Right. Or to fight or flight reflexes. So she doesn't have an accelerated heart rate when she's aroused or when she's which made like her main character's rate being blushing pretty funny. I mean, yeah. Uh, but there's a couple of moments where she's like, I felt it in my chest. And it's like, but what that actually is, is like blood rushing, which hers doesn't. Bad. I just, I wish, like, that was the one thing. I wish that the heart had come up, not just when it was relevant to the plot, but even in the way Ava thought about her own emotions. Yeah. But I love this book. It's, I think it's my favorite in the Blue Blood Conspiracy series. Well, I've only read two. Yeah. So I'd agree with you. That's not to say I didn't like the first one, but there is something particularly charming about our heroine here. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk about it in our random numbers. So for this week, we generated a random number of 17, and then we did write our own summaries based on that number. I will go ahead and start. Here's my 17-word summary. Ava's a sweet virgin vampire. Kincaid's a ginormous blue-collar mech. Together, they're the hottest couple in London. They're real cute. And um, I did see Meg's summary before writing mine, so I wanted to make sure I did go in a different direction. Um, so I covered more of the overall plot mm -hmm. in my 17-word summary. So, when founding a diverse organization of former participants and enemy factions, ensure the recruits are uncharacteristically open-minded. I, uh, I just love... I really, really like what comes out about why both of them were chosen for the Company of Rogues. Mm-hmm. It's really great. It's not like a spoiler. And if you pay any attention, you know what's going on. But I just really like how they admit it. There's also a part where, so basically, there are how many people are in the Company of Rogues? Six? Five? Uh, I think like seven. Okay. Because there's the Duke. Yes. There's Isabel. Isabel. Gemma. Mm -hmm. Kincaid. Mm -hmm. Ava. Ingrid. And Burns. Burns. So seven. Yeah. Plus. Plus Jack, Jack. in the basement. Okay. <laughs> Eight. Eight. But Jack's a weird one. And like technically the butler. Oh yeah. Nine. Nine. Anyway. One of the things I really liked is it's a throwaway line, but I really liked it a lot. Uh, Malloran, the Duke, who's the head of the Company of Rogues says something like, well, this is, I'm never going to be pairing um, mixed couples as partners again because this is the second time that they've fallen in love, right? Mm -hmm. And someone's like, yeah, like that worked really well for Jack <laughs> because Jack is gay. <laughs> and is dating someone in the company of Rogue's brother who's sort of been pulled in as an honorary member. It, was, it really was just perfect. It was like the perfect little callback. It really was. I really liked it. So I think the biggest trope, or at least the one that I think that I enjoy the most, <laughs> is the blue stocking rogue trope. And this is interesting because the blue stocking virgin wallflower, except this isn't society, is the vampire. Yes. But she's a vampire with physical limitations because of the aforementioned not having a heart, yes. not being able to accelerate blood rush, therefore not actually being able to have a lot of the vampire powers. Mm -hmm. She also chooses to be a, a vegetarian vampire. 
But an actual vegetarian vampire? This is not vegetarian a la Twilight where they eat animal blood. No, this is vegetarian a la True Blood where it's an artificial compound. So she's theoretically the bloodthirsty killer of the two of them, but is this prim and proper reserved miss. And he's human. They call him a mech, but as you guys may remember, like mechs are just human beings who have had certain parts of their anatomy replaced with machinery. It's not like it's autonomous or AI. Right. Um, and he, but he's the like burly, dangerous rogue, even though he's the human and she could hypothetically suck his blood and kill him. Mm-hmm. I love it. I did too. It's just, ugh, you know, the scholar, and she's, she's a blue stocking as in, you know, she, she has these scholarly passions, but in this one, she, it's also her job. So she works at it. Right. And it's, it's sort of a question of, she was given this job because of her innate curiosity about some of these matters, but she's then obviously continued to cultivate them. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a workplace romance? It, it is. It is? <laughs> it really is. I'd say like trope number two here is so workplace cute. romance. As you said, the Duke is like kind of tired of his people hooking up. And like <laughs> the Duke and Isabel have a really complicated relationship. Yep. They're having, they're lovers, but he's engaged to someone else. And or Burns and Ingrid were book one. Mm-hmm. And Jack's hooked up with Daphne, as we discussed. And now you've got another pair of, like, they're having... And she's, like, the collective baby sister. Yes. So everyone is particularly, like, don't fuck our colleague, but also don't fuck my baby sister. But it's, about the whole I thing. mean, it's, it's also the best part about the book. And you totally understand why she falls for Kincaid, because he's the only one who doesn't treat her that way. And doesn't infantilize her, absolutely. Ah, mm. oh, so, so good. Yeah, so, um, as the book jacket says... They make a sex bargain. They think there are, uh, this is just about no feelings attached. So what's interesting on this, in this uh, version of it is Ava starts out this book with complicated feelings for the hero of the last book, Burns. Uh-huh. This book starts at their, at Burns's wedding. Right. Which I loved. And so Ava is rightfully like very confused about a lot of feelings. Like she recognizes she and Burns were never like lovers or never, like there's something inherently missing from their dynamic, but she also is sort of starting to recognize everything she's missed out on. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really love, it starts at his wedding, and she has obviously complex feelings like Lane was talking about, but at the wedding, one of her other friends, who was the heroine of a previous novel, is like, have you considered taking a lover? You <laughs> know, like, maybe this would help you clarify your feelings. And she immediately thinks to the one scene that we did think was out of place in the first book, where she and Kincaid had a, a heated encounter. Yeah. And so they just, they have the hots for each other. And of course, when she basically throws out, I don't want to be a virgin anymore to Kincaid, he's like, I can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take care of that for that you. That is not a problem. You need to continue <laughs> having, sweetheart. I love it. Uh, what else have we got? So they're biological enemies but also <laughs> faction enemies in terms of the war so she's a vampire yes and he's a mech and if you guys recall from the first series mechs were subjugated and enslaved by vampires mm-hmm. um so they're just inherently predisposed to dislike each other there are sort of three or four factions depending on how you view the mechs that were pre- have been present throughout the series the vampires the werewolf and the humans and then the mechs who are sort of humans but mm. modified right and so there's representatives from all of the factions except for like the non 
mechanical. No, Jack's a human. So mm-hmm. there's representatives of all of those kind of factions within the company of rogues. Um, but particularly Kincaid's history is as someone working to bring down vampires. Right. And Ava is really unique in that, as we mentioned, she was turned completely against her will. Yep. So it's, it's very much they're, they mistrust each other, Mm -hmm. but they are also the perfect examples to come together and start trusting each other again. Well, and for her, it's not his mechness that makes him untrustworthy it's his maleness um and he's like he's one of those romance heroes who's gigantic and brash like doesn't do anything to make other people comfortable is incredibly crass and vulgar but also he's a a scientist in his own way Mm -hmm. like he he builds things like an engineer he's an engineer of sorts and so you know he particularly as someone who was imprisoned to be given a mechanical heart she's very distrustful i mean she's not of him particularly, but of the world around her. She has right. very bad panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is an instance where she wakes from a nightmare. Because of one of the aforementioned panic attacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he may be there to comfort her. And this was fun because they weren't sharing a room at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's still like... He heard it. Oh, it was so cute. <laughs> it was a really cute scene. And Beckman Master, I think, does a really good job of balancing angst and sex. Yeah. Like, very sincerely, I don't feel like the angst is ever, like, swept under the rug or made to feel lesser than it should. But she actually is one of the few authors who manages to successfully distract me and the main (laughs) characters. Like, okay, yeah, this was a really traumatic thing you were just talking about, but I totally buy that you want to hook up now. Well, yes, I do. Like, I I mean that very sincerely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, as we mentioned, she's got a heart that's not real, and there is a scene where that comes to her and works to her advantage. And oh. I always love it. It's sort of like the Chekhov's gun, except yes. instead of going off and doing damage, it goes off and is the, like, saving thing. It was great. It was super well done. Wasn't it? I mean, because you, you, you don't know how the scene is going to end up. Like, how you know she's not going to die, obviously, but you don't know how she's going to, is she going to be rescued? Is she going to rescue herself? Like, what's going to happen? Anyway, it's one of her biggest insecurities, right? Mm-hmm. It was this thing that was done to her without her consent, and she's got a physical reminder of it and physical limitations that are a constant reminder of it. And this book, honestly, if there's like a non-romance novel running theme, it's everybody has their own unique strengths, and yeah. even things you perceive to be a weakness can be your strength. Right. And that was like a very literal hit the nail on the head version of it, but somehow Beck McMaster kept it restrained enough to keep me from rolling my eyes, and I was really into that well because you you're not sure exactly what happens and how and then when you figure it out you think oh my gosh like that was it, it was not eye rolly it was like perfect yeah yeah he doesn't do romance yeah he swore never to marry <laughs> and he has reasons that i believe they were very difficult angsty reasons yeah the he's a guy who just isn't into the romantic stuff was just like a character that, sure. but the swear never to marry yeah no he had totally legit reasons all right. So, yes, this is my favorite of the series. I have supporting evidence, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the first one is I really like the brain brawn pairing. I am also trash for that. <laughs> I'm trash for it. Like, I mean, think about it. Think about Daphne and Rupert. Yep. 
No, we're here for that unapologetically. So, okay, number one. This series also has the general thing going for it of they're on the same team. Yes. And a lot of the angst doesn't have to come from the relationship. Exactly. Like, it's a, it's, there's a lot of external angst that have nothing to do with their feelings for one another, which mm -hmm. is always our fave. I also really like, and this is specific to this series, that she is the vampire and the man is the human. Yeah. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but in so many paranormal romances, it's always the man who's the vampire. And I understand sort of the historical reasons for this, and I get it, but I've reached the point where I want that to be subverted. I want to talk about this in the context of the ending. Yes. So I think potentially there's a further discussion to be had about that. I completely, I 100% agree with you because, yes. That said, I do think it's subverted in a way that follows other romances. Yes. And I think the mystery is good. I really liked the way this expanded the universe. Again, at this point, my biggest concern complaint isn't really a complaint. It's I'm not good enough about remembering the details from the last seven <laughs> books to truly understand the puzzle of how well they're all coming together right yes. now. But I have no obvious complaints. It is also a sex book, but with a non-sex book plot. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Because sex books are all about sex, right? I mean, there's sex bargains. But that's all there is. There's nothing in addition to the sex bargain. Well, but I also feel like a sex book needs to have sex from like 10% through 100%. This is not that. No. This is like 30% through 100%. Yeah. I just want to be very clear that this isn't like opening up with them in bed together. There is, it doesn't just lean into that this book is about sex. No. It is very sexy. But that, that's what I'm telling you is I feel like it mm -hmm. has as much sex as some sex books. No. Well, like, if we look at Gentleman Seeks Bride, for example. I don't remember what that said... book is. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of sex in this there book. There is. And it's sec it's sexy sex. Beck McMaster knows how to write sexy sex. Yes. Also, this is a little preview of the sexiness section, but there is way less blood play here. Yes! Which I think really helped Meg and I a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you are 100% correct. I don't think they ever suck blood during sex. No, there's a little bit of the blood in my system has made me horny. Yes, but that is it. Yeah. There's no, I'm going to make you come by licking your neck. No. Yeah. Which we hate. Just full disclosure. <laughs> full disclosure. I don't like it. So I am going to go there. This has a slight Viscount Who Loves Me plot. Conflict. As in, I'm not getting married because I'm afraid to fall in love. I'm afraid to fall in love because of I, because I know that I'm going to die early and I'm going to leave my family in misery. Right, except Anthony is an idiot and Kincaid has a degenerative disease. <laughs> you are correct. So it has the Viagra Her Love Me plot, but with an actual believable mm -hmm. reason, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. very it can which will appear in content warnings. Yes, but which makes the plot more believable and. Thus, more fun. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know how I say I don't like jealousy? Right. I do like when people feel jealousy and it makes them think, oh, my gosh, I'm jealous. It means I actually feel something for this person. Well, and I'm totally fine with the you were being really, ter really territorial. Were you jealous? Yes, of course I was jealous. And in every instance where that jealousy arises here, it's either patently ridiculous, like someone who's like, she was my cousin. 
Mm -hmm. Or it's like clearly an evil person. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it was really territorial, but you never feel like they created conflict where it didn't need to exist in personal circumstances. Yeah. I am thinking, so I say I don't like jealousy. I think what I don't like is possessiveness. Or being a dick about it. Well, yes, <laughs> exactly. Jealousy used to control another person's actions or to make another person feel bad. I don't like jealousy as I was jealous when this happened. I realized nothing, you would never do anything about it. And it's just because you're an amazing person. Yes. Okay. Totally agree. So they both experienced jealousy on different occasions. And it's just so cute. It they are really good at communicating, you guys. Oh my god, they are, aren't they? I'm, I'm so squealy about it. I'm like, that was just so good. You're right, they are. Yeah. They have so many honest conversations before it's even a threat that someone else is going to force them to have them. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. And I love when other people try to call them on their relationship. They are so protective of each other. Right? Yes. Oh, it's just so good. And finally, the final reason that I love this book is you feel like the stakes are really high. No character is safe. Not even characters who were heroes of previous novels. Yes. And I love this because Beck McMaster respects the genre. Yes. She respects the happily ever after. And no one is ever like actually killed who is a, a major partner. However you believe they're in mortal peril and you believe she will put them in other types of danger. Mm -hmm. And so you, and this, we'll get into this in content warnings, but Ava's gone through a lot of trauma, but it wasn't sexual trauma. So she completely subverts the, the worst thing that can ever happen to you trope mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So the worst thing that can ever happen to a woman in the context of this book is not sexual assault. Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen to people is not necessarily death. Mm -hmm. And you totally believe that everyone is in danger. Yeah. Including Ava at one point. Oh, like, including Ava. We weren't worried she was going to die. No. But you were actually worried about, like, is this about to be her in a coma for the next 25% of the book? Like, yeah. what are the stakes here? She keeps you on your toes. She does. And it, I really respect that. It's yeah. really good. Okay. Um, the next things I want to talk about are, I think, spoilery. Is there anything you want to talk about before we do a spoiler tag? No. So we're going to do this a little different. Usually we wait and do a spoiler tag after content warning and sexiness. But I think... Nothing we want to talk about that's spoilery has to do with either. Yeah. Really? So I think it makes more sense to put it here. I was going to say, we can wait until the end if you want. No, um, I think we've done enough warning about it. And so just, you know, I'll try to remember to put in the description where it's safe to where come back is. in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I know I just said that one of the things I really liked about the book is that Ava is the vampire and Kincaid is the human. So the the woman partner of the couple is the supernatural one with supernatural powers and the male couple part of the couple is the one who doesn't mm -hmm. the end of the book he does get turned yeah so on the one hand i was a little bit disappointed because in previous books in this series the human couple the human member of the couple uh does not get turned to a vampire at the end yeah, the only time we've seen the female partner being turned was a case of lycanthropy, not yes, vampirism. So. so in this series, I honestly, I would have preferred that he stay human. Except. Except. He's got a degenerative condition mm -hmm. with no cure. 
Mm-hmm. And vampirism is a cure for pretty much everything. It'll it'll cure you of everything except for vampirism. And he is then thrown into a life or death situation at the end that sort of forces him to make the choice right then and there. Yeah. Um. So that was really interesting because vampirism doesn't make you young, right? In this series, so it, it's sort of interesting to me that it doesn't cure time. Right. Like people still age. Just the way that his disease was instantaneously resolved. You understand it. I was also disappointed just because I, I would have liked the her being a vampire and him being a human thing. Well, I would have liked that. And then also, one of the reasons he's part of the Company of Rogues is because Malorin, the head of it, has said that he will do research on how to cure his degenerative disease. Yeah. And so you kind of, when I first read the book, I was kind of hoping that at the end, Ava's going to, she's a researcher, so she's going to research this disease and they're going to work on it together and he's going to get over his fear of death, a la Anthony Bridgerton. But it does make you wonder uh, what would have been better, because one of the, I mean, a romance novel, obviously, no one can have a degenerative fatal condition. So you knew he was getting cured of it some way. Is it better to have it be the magic cure of vampirism or would it be better for there to be a fictional cure yeah. like and be like science did this? No. I, I don't know what is more palatable given that we the readers are in worlds where those diseases exist and don't have a magic cure and aren't going to in our lifetimes. Yeah. So looking at it as a vampire novel, I don't hate that she is the vampire and that she turns him at the end. Looking at it from this series as a whole, I will admit I was slightly disappointed. I want a vampire woman, human man, where he stays human at some point. Yeah. And maybe we'll get it because she apparently is returning to the steampunk world soon, which I can't wait for. But anyway. Cool. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Spoiler tags are done, I think. Oh, do you want to talk about the epilogue? Yeah. Okay. She's doing a thing right now where the epilogue's are setting up the next book in terms of the mystery mm-hmm. and the romance, not actually wrapping up this book. And I just don't care. Like, I, why does it have to be this book's epilogue? Like, do like, and now scenes from the next book. Mm-hmm. Like, the same, I liked the scene between Ava and Kincaid in book one. It was out of place. It wasn't the epilogue. But, uh, like, it was, it was yeah. out of place. It was out of place. Anyway, I didn't love it. I really would have liked them. The ending felt slightly abrupt because it it ended very quickly after he got turned into a vampire. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that the epilogue wasn't about them made it feel more abrupt. I felt. Yes. There's also a little... I loved... The, I want to... I really loved this. He, there is a vaccine developed against vampirism that he doesn't take. And he... And that... Obviously, his, his mindset on why and whatever changes throughout the course of the book. I'm not going to spoil all of those nuances. But it did feel like, while vampirism was sort of an inevitable choice to cure his condition, it didn't actually feel like a foregone conclusion. Yeah. And I think that's maybe part of why we're kind of disappointed he didn't stay human. Is right. Because there was an easy way for Beck McMaster to write this where we would have been like, well, we know that's coming. It's the only answer. And in this series, it kind of wasn't. Right. Exactly. It was once the ending happened, but... Yep. So. All right. Uh, I think the spoilers are now over. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Content warnings. Kincaid has an incurable degenerative disease. Yep. Um, It's a rough 
to read. He has witnessed several family members die or actively be dying of it. Mm -hmm. um, it has sort of colored his perception of the world, and it seems like every man in his family gets it. Yeah. Like, it's not even a crapshoot. Like, it's a death sentence, and it's known. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Anyway, uh, be aware, because it is... It, it, I, she does not... She handles it well. It's not like I'm offended by the way she incorporated it. She handles it so well that it can be very upsetting. Yes. Um, in general, as whenever we talk about these books, there's a lot of blood and gore and violence. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of it. Like explosions, body parts flying, shooting people in the head. Lots of blood. Sometimes you people drink blood. Sometimes they don't drink it Sometimes because they're body, just bleeding. They have like special miracle bullets, miracle, that like destroy things and like rip limbs off bodies. There's and... a guy whose head popped like a melon when it was shot. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to say whose. <laughs> we have to read to find out. <laughs> And her past is really horrible. Yeah, we've touched on that, uh, but she's obviously got a lot of PTSD. Mm-hmm. And as I, I, I said, props to Beck McMaster. This is definitely not sexual in any way. Like, there's really no sexual violence trigger warnings in this book. Exactly. Which I am here for because one of my big complaints about sexual violence is I think it's lazy that all authors can think of that's bad to happen to a woman is that. But so Beck McMaster really leans in on just how horrible this was. Yeah. Disproving people who think sexual violence yeah. is the worst, but it could be hard to read, man. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I think it's something she does well as a writer, as a whole. Yeah. If you look back at the entire, all of the series, there were a couple times when people were harassed, but I don't think anyone was like raped or. I mean, there's been a couple of people who were abducted and forced to give blood and like <laughs> we've the talked about this there. Before. Yes. Yeah. 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 But and Kincaid's sister falls into that gray area. Yeah. There was yeah, no sexual violence against her that's that you're true. made aware of, but there was clearly like non-consensual blood, blood violence. Like, yes. Anyway, it's an interesting take on it. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to sexiness. It's hot damn. It's real sexy. This book is so sexy. I love that Ava's like, I don't want to be a virgin. And Kincaid is like, I want to make this good for her. I have no complaints about, like, the way the sex was used to be character building. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of times that she would say one thing and be like, you're not ready. But she always dropped it, so I was sort of okay with it. Yeah. It's just very... It's good for both of their character development. Right. It's good for their relationship building, and it's just plain hot. I mean, okay, there's one scene. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> because they're, like, working a case, and then she kind of gets the case taken away from her. Mm -hmm. And so she's supposed to go back and, like, do some lab work, but she doesn't have the stuff to do the lab work on yet. So they have some... Time to kill. Because normally you'd be like, you're in the middle of an investigation. Why are you taking time out? But no, they have legit reason to take a break. And he's like, why don't we go to the sexy picture gallery? I loved that. Like, And we talk about video game analogies sometimes on this podcast. But we're like, okay, the world's ending and now it's time to side quest. And you're like, what? In this case, everybody on the team has their own area of expertise. And their areas of expertise were like literally not needed for an afternoon. And he's like, I know how we can pass the time. And it was so hot. It was just, first of all, there's carriage sex. Oh my God, yes. So, I, really I'm is. not responsible for my thoughts about that. There's carriage sex. There was art gallery sex. 
I mean, sexual yeah. contact. I call it sex. Yeah, yes. there was, that scene was a little chaster than I was expecting. Not what they did together, but what she saw in the gallery. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was some real potential for some exciting stuff, and it was just like, this one person's going down on the other. I've never <laughs> thought of that. But now it's all I can think about. But like, he rents this whole erotic gallery to give her, like, the full experience, and she sees three paintings of some pretty vanilla stuff. That's all she needed. It, like, everything between then was perfect, but I did laugh at, like, the setup of this, like, really erotic place. And it was I mean, like, okay. I, I do think she was, I think Beck McMaster was leaning in on how innocent Ava was, but not in a gross way. Right. Right? I, I thought it was real. The balance was perfect. It really was. I was just laughing at the circumstances, but I think you were kind of meant to. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, yes. The carriage sex was so hot. Oh, and they just make out like everywhere. Yeah. Like they'll be going in to question some people and he's like, wait, first, here's an alley. Let's kiss. Yes. We're like, hey, here's an alley. We're having a misunderstanding. Let's clear it up right now. And then and just then kiss. <laughs> this is so good. And um, FYI, for all of you who need a content warning, sex warning, there is butt stuff. Yeah, my bigger concern there is they're just using regular bath oil, and I don't think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> hey, at least there was some lube. Because <laughs> I have read some other butt stuff where I don't think that's supposed to work that way. I mean, like, p pass, but don't use this as an instruction manual. No, but it was still hot to read, though. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And then, I mean, Lane touched on this, but I really like the emphasis on consent, but not because she had a background of sexual assault. Just because she literally was kept in a tube and had no autonomy. Yeah. For six months. And it, so it makes total sense that she's like, I want to be able to understand what my body can do, but I want to be the one in control of that. Yes. And he's always extremely aware of that, but not in a way that mitigates the sexiness and she also is not always thinking about how she was in a tube <laughs> exactly sex. like it works really well here because it's not the sex itself that's triggering for right. her it's just the like it's being close enough emotionally to a person to and be let your vulnerable guard down. in any way yes anyway i recommend this book i love this book so much i'm so glad that you liked it too because sometimes we don't agree on like our favorite favorites this one's pretty good. I just would be very aware of the content warnings, the violence, the tr her trauma, and his disease, yes. because those things are all handled very explicitly. Absolutely. But thank you guys so much for listening. 